Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunics or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello. It is, as Esther said, it's really lovely to be back. And uh, what's nice about what we're doing here, I can genuinely say that. Uh, whereas when other place, no, other <laughs> contexts, when you go back to work, you don't always. It's not always nice to go back to work, is it? But uh, I feel really blessed to uh, be part of it, and it's fantastic to see you uh, all here. And it's a little bit hot, isn't it? This this side with the sun coming in. So uh, I hope you can, uh, can bear it, as it were. And so Esther was saying we have moved to Dudley, the promised land. And uh, it was a wonderful thing on the day we moved. The, uh, work, the builders were still building our house, uh, intern- in- internally, that is. And um, uh, so it was a bit manic, and it was uh, utter chaos. But eventually they left, and the removal men came and just broke a few things and all that sort of stuff. But we got in, which is the main thing, and uh, we're feeling very settled. And um, we got this, when you get a vicarage, it's like they tend to be quite big, don't they? I don't, I don't know what, well, I do know why, it's because they had, used to have money, but um, uh, uh, not anymore. But, and you get, um, you get a big garden. So I've, I've kind of mowed the, the drama, I know, Rachel. And uh, they, uh, the, it took me an hour and a half to mow my lawn. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Anyone can do it. Yeah, exit. All right, Shirley. All right. Uh, yeah. Whoa, she's not hanging around. So, um, so we're feeling very uh, surprisingly very settled. Only having lived there for a week. So, this is lovely pulpit, isn't it? Not really made for Esther or me, though, is it? The size of it. So. Okay. So, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, so um, 
we've got this new series that if, you, if you're on our email, you'd have picked up. If you're not on our, e- our weekly email news, then uh, do, if you're happy to give me your email address, I'll pop you on it. And it's a great way of just kind of keeping up to speed with uh, all the different things that are happening here uh, at Top Church. And um, what we're doing now is launching uh, today, is beginning a new series, starting today, which will uh, take us up to November, well, to the end of November, beginning of November, all being well, I, as I haven't caught up with Nathan yet, but I presume it's all going to plan uh, over there. I can't see Nathan, actually, so uh, I thought it's done a runner. And um, uh, it's going to plan, isn't it? Yes, good. So uh, that's uh, beginning, <laughs> yes. uh, beginning of uh, November, we'll be back in there. That gives us a month to settle in and to work out, to mow the lawn and, uh, you know, work out what's what and how it all works in our new setting. And we haven't, you know, getting used to not having any pews and all those sorts of things. Um, and then 1st of December, we officially launch, we open up our doors um, to everybody. And we have a hopefully quite a big... Sunday uh, event uh, from about 11 to about 2 p.m. and invite as many people as we can uh, on the 1st of December, which is the beginning of the church calendar as well, which is fab, beginning of Advent, and uh, and then it will be a great place to invite our community to some of our Christmas events, you know, Christmas carol services and whatever else we get up to, Chris Dingles and all sorts of different things. So that's what's happening. So uh, this kind of message is really to help us um, to keep engaging with Jesus, obviously, but to keep us on track on actually uh, what are we essentially about as a church plant, as a group of people who are coming together to say, um, you know, to the, to the level of commitment that we all give at different levels, we want to be part of establishing a new worshipping community here in, right in the heart of Dudley, which we hope in the end will plant and start other churches. This series is to kind of help us to keep a little bit on track and to gear us up to doing that. So that will take us through the end of November. But, as you may recall, there's one Sunday every month where we are going to do a Do Sunday. Good, yes, a Do Sunday. Now, you might be wondering, what is a Do Sunday? So am I, because I, I haven't had a chance to catch up with everybody yet to work out what it is. But essentially, that what we're doing this series is all about the kingdom and how Jesus brought good news to people and cared for people and challenged the empire and all these sorts of things. And we're going to have some Sundays or weekends when we do stuff together as a church that actually are good, they're good for our community. We haven't quite worked out that will be. None of it will be too... Um, let me put it like this, this. We've all got different personality types, and I'm very aware of that. And so we will all find, I will work on things that will fit everybody's personalities type. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're Freddie, you'd want something quiet and nobody will notice, you know, that, uh, that you're there and, uh, you know, whatever, you're an extrovert or introvert. So we'll work on that and we'll let you know what uh, that involves. But, but it is a bit daunting, but that's partly the point of it, is actually to make, you know, to raise the profile of our church and the community and the good news of Jesus and all that, but to push us out a little bit. But we'll be working really hard at working on how that how that looks, how that works with children and youth and safeguarding and all these different things. So, so that's just to kind of raise it. We'll give you info uh, about that as soon as we can. But it's a really um, slightly different. We do it for a few months, see how we uh, get on. But we'll be explaining it all as we go along. So uh, that aside, uh, do you know people who always seem to rabbit on about one thing in particular? Talk, yes, yes, you do. And um, 
Do you, are those sorts of people, sometimes you avoid them because you know they're going to just talk about their ailments all day, don't you? Uh, uh, other times, if you feel like I really can't be bothered to speak to anyone at church today, you just aim for them, don't you? Because it will just keep you busy for a good half hour and then you can go home. And uh, you've done, you know, however you roll. But there, there are certain people who kind of focus in, have their kind of pet topics that they uh, talk about all the time and they just sort of rabbit on about, talk about. Well, Jesus had, as it were, well, it's a pet topic. It's a little bit more than a pet topic but he had one subject that was completely and utterly consuming him totally and he spoke about this subject more than any other subject and that is the kingdom of God the kingdom of God that's what Jesus was about if we had to nail down in a few words what Jesus spoke about what he believed about what the whole purpose of his mission was it was all about the kingdom of God in fact he spoke about the kingdom of God a hundred over 120 times I've that's pretty and I've gone through every single one of them Nope, uh, just read it in a book. Uh, but uh, uh, 120 scholarly books, so it's well referenced. Uh, 120 times he spoke uh, on the kingdom of God. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did about hell, even if you think he spoke about hell. I don't think he did. I think it's a mistranslation of the word Gehenna. But he spoke more about Gehenna, more about the kingdom of God than he did about the afterlife. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did about money. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did about communion. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did about baptism. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did about buildings and heritage. In fact, he never mentions them, funny enough. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than church. Do you know how many times Jesus uses the word church? Have a guess since we're here. None, nearly, twice, twice. And even then, scholars think that early church has shoved it in his mouth to keep the whole thing ticking up. But anyway, that's, a, that's another story. But he spoke about it twice in Matthew. The kingdom of God, 120 times, church twice. Jesus had one overriding mission, the kingdom of God. His second favorite subject was money, but his, and he spoke about that more than uh, any, anything else, kingdom of God and money. But his overriding passion was all about the kingdom of God. So whatever kind of people we're aspiring to be as Jesus people and following him, it is kingdom people through and through. That was Jesus's ultimate passion. But here's the really interesting, two little interesting things before I explain how the series is going to uh, unfold. Uh, one is this. We, some of you, most of you will know, but I keep saying it so we definitely do know, that we've been given significant amount of funds by the church commissioners, uh, two and a half uh, million pounds in all, and that's our half a million of that is redoing the, the reordering, and then that two million is just for me. So, no, it's, it's, no, it's not at all. It's not, I, don't, I don't get any of it. To be crystal clear, I don't get any of it. Uh, the two million is to employ a number of our staff. So, and our final staff member, Dave, starts on Thursday, Dave Shaw, and then we've got um, our full staff team, basically. That's, that's what we've got. Uh, if you're not sure who, that's Nathan, our operations uh, director. Kath, our community minister. Claire is youth and kids minister who's downstairs. And then Dave will be our worship leader. And then we've got a curate, Sarah, uh, who's not here today, um, having a well-deserved rest. And then we've got Rachel. Uh, is, uh, <laughs> so I'm sort of in the middle of Rachel, Sarah, somewhere, who's uh, half a vicar. We get half of her time. And uh, there, she's on holiday as well, her and, her and Matt on holiday. Um, so then, and then also on top of that, 
so I'm going, I will get to our point in a minute. Uh, we have uh, Susan McGee on placement with us. Susan's downstairs. Uh, and we've got Sean, soon to be one day the Reverend Sean. And uh, uh, he's starting his training at Bristol, but will be based with us as well. I think that's it. Probably got somebody I've forgotten if I have, forgive me. But we've got an amazing team. So the point I'm saying is that all this money that we've been given is to plant a church, start a church here, which then goes on and starts other churches, which is great. But when you look at the life and the passion of Jesus, which is the kingdom, there's a little bit of me that wants to say, yes, we are planting a church, but really what we're, what we're doing, just don't tell the commissioner, church commissioners, what we're really doing is starting a kingdom movement. That's really what we're doing. We're not really kind of just creating a church. That, that is part of the kingdom because the church is the instrument, is the vehicle of the kingdom. But what we're really doing is creating a whole bunch of people and communities that are kingdom valued and that are bringing the kingdom into so many different areas of not just Dudley Town but beyond. So what we're doing is creating a kingdom people, a kingdom movement. And as we discover what this kingdom is, it's just such a buzz. It's so exciting. I've been, re as well as sort of packing boxes and, and, and just sort of pretending to be useful across the summer as we move, um, that actually I've been trying to read as well about Jesus and the kingdom. And it's just and books I haven't normally read that are a little bit different. And it's such an exciting dynamic, this kingdom. So that's the other thing to know, is that what we're really doing is this kingdom adventure, really. It's this, it's actually creating a kingdom movement. But the really cheeky thing about Jesus is, is I mean, there's lots of cheeky things about, about Jesus, but the really cheeky thing is for today um, is that even though he spoke over how many times? 120, well done, 120 times uh, about the kingdom of God. How many times about church? Twice, yeah, yeah, that's, you don't, forgot that one. Uh, <laughs> what's really interesting is he doesn't ever clearly define the kingdom. He doesn't, does it? It's really annoying, actually, <laughs> because he speaks about it so often, and we're doing this series about it. Rooms of books have been, have uh, you said that word, lots of books have been written about it, but he never clearly defines the kingdom. And I've been thinking about this and I find it a little, a bit tad frustrating since that was the whole point of his sort of mission. And, but what I've discovered by engaging with this topic is he didn't necessarily define it, but he did describe it. He described it rather than defined it. He said, the kingdom of God's a bit like this. It's like this mustard seed that you throw in, a, throw in the ground and suddenly it grows. The kingdom of God's a bit like this bit of yeast that you throw into a bit of bread. The kingdom of God is a little bit like this. It's, it's this person who sees someone who's been a victim and is about to die. And the kind of kingdom person that Jesus is interested in is not someone who says, are you legal or illegal? Are you deserving or undeserving poor? Or why did, why did you get on that boat? You shouldn't be on that. Actually, Jesus says the kind of kingdom person says, there's somebody dying here. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. So he describes it continuously rather than kind of defines it and locks it up. Jesus constantly describes this kingdom. So what we're going to be doing over the next... Um, couple of weeks is looking at four areas four areas how Jesus described the kingdom and we're going to spend some time in each so I'm going to run through them quickly uh, some I'll spend a bit more time on than others but just as a little kind of overview so we know where we're going but just before that one other thing that I found really interesting is Jesus's passion was wasn't it the kingdom of God as we've uh, established but do you know what he rarely if ever calls Jesus calls God a king isn't that interesting yeah Kingdom of God, you think you talk about God being a king. He rarely does that. He talks about God being this loving father, this compassionate God. And there's just something in there, isn't there, about, about how Jesus saw God and what kind of God that we worship. That 
He didn't go around saying, kingdom of God's here and God's a king and you, he, you, know, you sort yourselves out because he's coming to judge. There's something very different. He calls God an over, overwhelmingly compassionate, good father. And there's something wonderful about that. A different, it already indicates the kind of kingdom Jesus is bringing is different than the kingdoms of uh, this world. So this is how we're going to uh, approach it. So there's going to be, thank you, Rachel, next uh, slide. There's going to be four areas that we're going to uh, look at over these next uh, few months. And we're going to spend roughly two weeks uh, on each. The first one we're going to look at, you can't see it very well because of the uh, sun, uh, is Jesus and empire, the kingdom of God and empire. Uh, anyone been following the politics <laughs> this week? Yes. Yeah, you have to, uh, I'm not, no comment, but... Lord, have mercy. Hey, so, uh, so it's a fascinating time, isn't it? Um, so what we're going to spend a couple of weeks doing is looking at the context of Jesus. There were two overwhelming contexts in the life of Jesus that he lived in. You know, the culture is the, the water that you swim in. It's kind of who, who, who you are, the kind of the, this context, the social, political context that you live in. Jesus had two really strong ones coming that he lived in and, uh, and he moved in. One was the uh, Judaism. Jesus was a Jew, and we look at that and the expectations that come in the kingdom. The other was, a, was the Roman Empire, and that played a massive role in the life of Jesus. This was uh, a, a dominating, dictatorial empire that Jesus was living in. And Jesus constantly, as we will see, challenges the empire. In fact, there's a lot of writing coming out at the moment saying 100% Jesus died for our sins, yes. But actually, on one level, he died as a political activist because he challenged the empire in so many ways. So you had Caesar, who was kind of ruling over the whole thing. And everybody had to say these three words about Caesar. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. The early disciples come along and they say, no, 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 he's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You had Caesar come along who was known, generally known as the Prince of Peace. And then you had the disciples come along and say, no, actually Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You have this amazing moment, as you know, Palm Sunday, that uh, we'll get to in the end, not in the end, uh, midway. Uh, We'll get to where uh, Jesus comes in riding on a donkey from a particular... um, now, with dyslexia, I'm useless with east and west and north and south. So, but he comes in from one angle, anyway, <laughs> one direction. Uh, and, but the Roman, Empire, the Roman emperors come in from the other angle, and they process in. And they process in the great fanfare and, and, and particular animals that they use, and they're making a big statement. Jesus, in his last week, comes in in exactly the opposite way of the Roman Empire and does something completely different, challenging the empire all the way through the last week, the holy week of Jesus, as we call it. He's challenging the, the, the Roman Empire of the day, so much so that in the end they get him and they kill him, but he rises again. So I want to really explore, starting from next week, that context. But what I'm really interested in is that context, but not really just a history lesson. But what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus today to be political. Marcus Borg said that the, the cross of Jesus was 100% political and 100% personal. It changes our lives, but it also should change the politics of the day. So we're going to be exploring a little bit of that, getting a little bit cheeky with it, getting a little bit kind of progressive and forward thinking, what does it mean for the kingdom of God to clash, as it were, with our Western values in this day? What's that going to look like? 
The second thing we're going to look at for a couple of weeks uh, are stories of the kingdom. Stories of the kingdom. And um, I'm going to hold this because I can't quite um, see it very well. Um, I'll put it there, actually. One of the um, things, one of the brilliant things I love about Jesus, what just, he was just, he is. One of them say was, he is just absolutely fantastic. But a brilliant thing he did was tell parables. He told stories. And it's excellent. And, and you know and I know, if someone says to you, can I tell you a story, as long as they're not that old comedian, some of you remember, uh, uh, but can I tell you a story, uh, that as soon as someone says that, your, your ears prick up, don't you? You're interested, you're engaged, you want to know. And what's so, what I find, just as an aside, really interesting is parables were such a key part of Jesus' ministry and how he demonstrated the kingdom, explained it, yet the early church never replicated that. Isn't that interesting? Can you sort of imagine them trying to write a script and think, oh, it's just no good, not as good as the originals, you know. But they never replicated it. Jesus' stories stand out so much, and he constantly told stories to explain what the kingdom is like. And the beauty of stories is that they travel throughout time, don't they? That's the beauty of Genesis 1. They tra- it travels throughout time because it's this great kind of story and this great hymn. And there's a couple of things that Jesus really picks up um, from his stories that he tells, these parables that he tells. Marcus Borg wrote uh, this. I think I probably took it down right. He, and the, the key thing you get from the stories of Jesus is simply this. is compassion. Is compassion. The big stories, the waiting father or the prodigal son, he was moved with compassion. The good Samaritan, you must show compassion like they did. All the way through, it's compassion, compassion, compassion that comes through the stories of Jesus. And Marcus Borg wrote this. He says, compassion is not only the primary quality of God, but also the primary quality of a life lived in accord with God. Jesus says these words, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. In a remarkable few words, theology and ethics are combined to live according to God's character. In other words, what Jesus is saying, God's compassionate, you've got to live like that. What he's saying is, this is your theology. There you go, Sean, you've got it. You don't need to go to college now. It's all sorted. Uh, Theology is, what is God like? Jesus says he's compassionate. How have you got to live? Follow him, be compassionate. Really, really simple. But here's a little twist in the tale that's quite interesting. That verse I quoted you from Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Some of you may be thinking, does it say that? I thought it said be merciful as your father is merciful. I can see you all thinking that straight away. You Bible scholars, you can see Tom saw just like he was, honestly, he was ready to leap. And, uh, uh, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. The Greek word that they use there is the best translation is compassionate. So you can, you can Google it, it must be true. The best translation is compassionate. Test it out, what I said. The best translation is compassionate, yet most translators translate it as merciful. And I think that's really interesting. Best translation is compassionate, but most translators translate it as merciful. And why is that interesting? Well, if you're merciful, you've got the power. You're on top, aren't you? It's the patriarchy, you know. It's like, well, I'll be merciful to you. I'll be ever so kind to you and, and, you know, let you do this because I'm merciful. But actually, the real translation is compassionate. And compassionate is about being moved on the inside. Compassionate is about feeling really, really deeply about something and just feeling that person's pain and that agony. 
And that's what Jesus says God is like. That's the primary quality you get from the stories, that this compassionate God being moved. Not just merciful, but compassionate. Third uh, area we're going to uh, look at, and then we're, we'll pray in a moment, is the mills of the kingdom. You know, we've um, spoken quite a lot about that, actually, over our time together. And, uh, you know, what part of our vision of why we started this church, or how we started it, we, as part of that, uh, you know, there's a number of um, resource churches uh, across the country now, and they tend to, um, on the whole, I think we're being recorded here, but we, is it being recorded, Eck? Okay, so they tend to, on the whole... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't, it's all right, I don't mind. Uh, now, they tend to, on the whole, uh, build big stages. They are all about the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a fellow vicar there, back of yeah. <laughs> but that's what they do. It's all about the big stage. Big stages for the big band or the big preacher or whatever. Normally, you know, nicely presented preacher, but, you know, that's the big, it's all about that. What we wanted to do as a church, and there's one thing that's been a little bit harder to do because we haven't got the facilities here that we did over there, is build a big table and have church around the table. So one thing I'm really excited about being back in there is actually we can start eating together and having meals together again because, man, I've missed some of that food and, uh, it's <laughs> and taking it home. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and also the way we sit over there, we'll, we can experiment with different setups where actually we can sit round the table, which I, th- you know, which might, might, we might get fed up looking at each other too much, um, but I, it, it's highly symbolic. Jesus encouraged people to sit in circles. And um, so there's something about building a bigger table at the heart of who we want to be, not just kind of bigger stages and bigger bands. You know, Christ's promise, wasn't it, was to meet us in the bread, not the band. And, uh, but we do 100% believe in worship because we've just appointed a worship leader. But, but it's all about, that's that, all about um, meeting Christ uh, in and through that bread. So that's what we're going to be uh, looking at. And his meals, you know, some scholars even say it's his meals that got him killed. He ate with all the wrong people. And he was breaking down so many barriers. It was just freaking people out. Again, we need to know the context a bit more. But some people would say, and Sarah's just done a brilliant dissertation on, um, on, about this, basically. So she's going to be in a field day. Um, can't wait to hear her speak on that. And then lastly, we're going to look at um, the kingdom prayer, which some of you probably know, we all know is the Lord's Prayer, even though it doesn't say the word Lord uh, in it. Um, but we're going to be looking at the kingdom prayer. And it's something that we pray every week here. And some of you will pray it every day. But right at the heart of that prayer is that prayer for Jesus prays, that the kingdom come and your will be done. And it's such a beautiful prayer. It's such a wonderful and rich prayer. And I think it tells us that if anything about the kingdom, it comes through uh, our prayer and through our living. But also it's a, it's a really interesting prayer because it doesn't ask God to send explicitly the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mention church in the prayer. It doesn't mention uh, you know, what we believe, the virgin birth or the atonement and all these kind of considered high doctrine beliefs. This is a beautiful, symbolic deep, rich prayer of the kingdom that at the heart is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks on that, unpacking that with some of its Jewish background and that kind of context that we're in. So I hope that's a little bit helpful in kind of setting the scene, that we're we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at the kingdom, it's his priority, it's our priority, we want to be a kingdom people, compassionate people, and he didn't define it, but he described it, and we're going to follow all these things through, as well as sharing communion and all the things that we do through those different areas of, I've just mentioned, the empire, the political nature of it, the food, 
and the other ones, the stories uh, and, the, and the kingdom. So that's where we're heading. But um, what we're going to do, we're just going to have uh, a quiet moment. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to have a little, let's say the creed together, a time of intercession and then a final hymn together. So let's just uh, be still. And uh, I recognize it's so hard sometimes to, to stay with something when you're caught in the, in the heat of the sun. But let's just be still and... Uh, Reflect on some of those things, uh, the primary of primacy of the kingdom that Jesus spoke about, his passion for the kingdom, and that characteristic of compassion from God. Heavenly Father, we ask simply that we would align ourselves to your son's mission of bringing in the kingdom. That we would be those people who reflect the compassion of your kingdom. That as we go on this little journey together, another journey as a, as a group of people following your way, that you would use the stories that you told, the meals that you ate, the prayers that you showed us to pray, and the challenge that you gave to the empires of the day. You would use all these things to align us as your kingdom people. I pray for us, Lord, particularly those who go back to work this week or are back in the thick of it already, that we may feel supported and we may be those who carry something of your kingdom's compassion into our workplaces, in our home lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.